21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. My name is Vitaly Golomb. I'm the partner at Drake Star Partners, which is a global investment bank. Um, I run the San Francisco operation. I head up the U.S. mobility practice as well, and I focus on uh, the future of transportation. We're about actually 50-50 uh, U.S. Uh -huh. and Europe. Um, Drake Star Partners is about 100 bankers, and uh, we have 26 partners. I'm one of them. Um, and we are, we have what, nine offices in six countries at this point. Um, and we focus on tech M&A as well as uh, corporate finance, so raising capital, uh, typically for companies that are a little bit later in their path and growth stages and beyond. Um, we're now even uh, playing around with SPACs, as many are as well, uh, especially in transportation mobility sector. We see a lot of companies uh, becoming valuable very quickly compared to before and going to the public markets uh, rather earlier than before. So it's a very exciting time. Um, I worked uh, you know, in Croatia, of course, uh, with Remac, put together Series B a few years back, uh, local hero. At the time, that was the biggest venture round in Southern Europe um, at that point. And that was a great, challenging uh, project, but uh, very proud to be a, a part of it. And now the company, of course, is doing uh, very well as one of the leaders in electric mobility in the world. Uh, still have lots and lots of friends in Croatia and uh, can't wait to get back to Croatia. It's been a while. Mobility sector is really fascinating. Uh, I've always been a car guy, so that's kind of how I got into it. But in reality, it is a very interesting, you know, it's one of the biggest categories around of business, of, of industry out there. It's a $5 trillion category, and it's going through a massive transformation right now, generational transformation. Um, Excuse me, how much? Four, $5 trillion. $5 trillion? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So transportation, logistics, all of that is a massive industry. Um, and the transformation, you know, what, what happened last year in 2020 is that electric, uh, electric mobility became inevitable, right? It was a question of when and how and if. There's no longer a question. Everybody understands that we're going electric. Uh, so it's just a question of now, how will the industry reorient around that idea? Um, we're going to have uh, a massive amount of new vehicles coming out, passenger vehicles, commercial vehicles that are electric. And uh, we're going to see hydro very soon. We're going to see hydrogen fuel cell aircraft uh, in a few years. Uh, we're going to see Hyperloop break ground probably this year and start building the first one. Then you'll see passengers, demonstration lines and, and real Hyperloop systems in the next couple of years. That's another company that I'm working with closely, Hyperloop uh, Transportation Technologies. So uh, very interesting category, very important. We're probably realistically five to 10 years away from real autonomy. Uh, to be honest, uh, despite what uh, Tesla likes to advertise, uh, it's not true. They didn't have a million self-driving taxis by the end of last year, as we know. And realistically, it's going to take a few more years for, uh, for us to see real autonomy on the street. But very exciting uh, because companies like Zoox, uh, companies like Waymo uh, for passengers will, will create kind of a new reality. You know, in big cities, you won't need to own a car, period. Uh, you just call this electric thing that takes you wherever you want to go autonomously. It'll be really cheap compared to owning a car and insurance and parking and everything else. Uh, so that's going to be really exciting. 
And uh, what we're doing for CES this year, Drake's our partners, mobility team, we're putting on a two and a half hour um, online event uh, on January 13th from 9 a.m. Pacific. And you can find details on that if you find Drake Star Partners on LinkedIn. You can see the event there. It's free registration. And we're going to be hosting uh, some of the leaders in, in, this, um, in this category uh, for several different panels. Talk about uh, all, uh, as far as government infrastructure and the government incentives that are driving this. So government regulations and incentives are still two of the biggest drivers in EV. It's not individual companies. Um, we're going to talk about that with European Investment Bank, with the um, co-chair of Biden's subcommittee on infrastructure um, for the U.S. Uh, we're also going to be hosting the CEOs of uh, Damon Motorcycles and Enride from Sweden, the autonomous electric truck company, uh, Monarch Tractor that just launched a few weeks ago, which is autonomous uh, farming platform in a tractor, electric tractor. Um, as well as QEV Tech and one of the co-founders of Remac and a special guest uh, hasn't confirmed yet, unfortunately, but uh, there'll be a very big name, hopefully, um, a few hours after we, we finish this recording, I'll have the confirmation as well. So it'll be a great event. Um, and it's for people that are uh, already involved in the industry or are curious about the industry. It's a totally free event. So uh, by all means, look up Drake's our partners on LinkedIn, find the link and we'll see you there. Uh, anyway, how long did it take for you becoming a partner? Uh, I have a very Was it the tough road. No, you know, it's a, I have a very non-traditional path to investment banking. Um, I started out, I was always the youngest guy doing pretty much everything. Um, I was the youngest employee of Kinko's when I was a teenager back in high school. Um, I was uh, running a uh, design team for a software startup, uh, an enterprise software startup back in the dot-com days, and I wasn't old enough to go to the bar with my team. Um, and uh, after that, I started uh, and ran three of my own companies. The last one was Venture Backed, was a software company. I built an engineering office in Kiev, Ukraine. I was born originally in Odessa, Ukraine, and my family immigrated when I was eight years old to San Francisco. Uh, so I grew up in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a non-traditional path. So, you know, once I uh, sold that last company in 2015, um, I was already working with a number of venture funds as an advisor and accelerators around the world. Um, I joined the team at HP uh, to help build HP Tech Ventures, the corporate venture arm for Hewlett Packard. Um, and uh, HP, of course, is Silicon Valley's original startup. So that was a very interesting experience um, that I spent a couple of years there. And uh, from there, um, you know, during that time, I published my book. Um, the Remag deal came together finally around that time. And I left and started my own uh, boutique investment bank, JS Capital, um, a couple of years ago, almost three years ago now. And um, that grew rel relatively quickly. I got involved in more and more of these bigger deals. So with companies like uh, Fisker, um, advising them on their capital raise while they were still a private company, Hyperloop, Damon Motorcycles, which is being called the Tesla of motorcycles these days. Um, and very quickly, that practice grew and it made sense for me to join up with Drakestar, which is one of the leaders in this space, investment banks in the world. Um, and now I'm part of a mobility group that's about 20 plus people in total 
uh, with a big group in Amsterdam and London, um, as well as New York. So working on very interesting projects in, um, in charging infrastructure, in electric mobility, the different vehicles, uh, different component technology, autonomy, um, or be it battery technology. So lots of really interesting things. And uh, we're uh, for CES, for this virtual CES, 2021, we're actually holding a big mobility event um, with some of our key partners, customers, uh, would-be customers, and uh, some involvement from um, government officials as well, European Investment Bank, um, as well as one of our advisors to Drake Star, who uh, was the co-chair of Biden's, uh, Biden's subcommittee on infrastructure in the U.S., so expecting really interesting things to happen in this particular sector in the U.S. Uh, starting this year with the new administration that's going to be very focused on environment and infrastructure and creating jobs. All those things come together very nicely to solve a lot of problems. I was working for a PR company at Broadway Street in 1999 uh, in San Fran, and uh, there was a dot-com uh, uh, bubble. So, for how long did it take to reset the macroeconomic system back then? Yeah, I mean, I'm old enough now to have gone through three major cycles and a lot of minor cycles. Uh, in Silicon Valley. Um, of course, when my family immigrated and, and landed in San Francisco in 1990, U.S. was in a uh, somewhat of a you know, recession already at that period, um, big real estate recession as well. Uh, so I remember kind of growing up in the 90s and things really improved um, under the Clinton administration. That's the last time the U.S. had a uh, surplus um, in the budget a long, long time ago in the 90s. And it was handed off. So the dot-com bubble was a really interesting experience. It was a first experience for me, and I didn't really have you know anything to compare it to. I was quite young. Uh, when it ended, it was like uh, you know like a bomb went off. Um, you know there was no traffic on Highway 101 here for a couple of years. That was nice, but of course, um, in Bay Area, you know population is around eight million. Uh, something like you know twenty five percent of people work directly in you know technology related companies. So I don't think I knew a single, let's say if it was a couple, I didn't, I didn't know a single couple that where at least one person wasn't laid off. So it was, it was felt really strongly here uh, because it was very concentrated here. The bubble you know, expanded and it blew up and a lot of people moved away. Um, I think things started coming back with social media around 2004, 2005. Um, and we had uh, a nice little bump, uh, Facebook opening up here and growing very quickly and kind of that whole generation of companies um, coming about, uh, Google went public not too um, not too long before that and was growing quickly. So you could see these things kind of bubbling up again. Um, the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, it didn't hit Bay Area as hard as other parts, I would say. Definitely not as bad as the dot-com bubble in 2001, um, but we definitely felt it here. Real estate prices fell. Uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, but then we very quickly saw from, let's say, 2011, 12, very, grew very, very quickly. We felt like another bubble. Um, and 2015 felt like a peak. So then, you know, we, we've maintained this level of, of investment and all of this hype and everything happening and all the unicorns, you know, that's when the name started being thrown around. All of that all the way into the beginning of this year. Um, and then the dynamic change. So 
what's quite interesting is a lot of people are talking about, oh, it's the end of San Francisco, you know, Silicon Valley is not relevant. You know, I have a different perspective on that because I've been through these different cycles. Um, they are, uh, you know, things are a little bit different this time, but they're much more the same. So if you look at statistics on venture investment, Silicon Valley did not lose much. It, it, I think it actually gained last year compared to the year before that, um, as far as percentage of venture capital, at least in the U.S., but the nice thing, and I, and I say this is nice, even coming from Silicon Valley, you know, I see it as a friendly competition, is that you saw a lot of other ecosystems, especially in Europe, set records for venture investment. So it's not so much that you see people just getting on a plane and flying to San Francisco as soon as they can, but they're doing whatever they can wherever they are, which I, I see as a huge positive. But it doesn't take anything away from Silicon Valley. Don't be confused. Uh, you know, we've been doing this here for 70 years. And, uh, you know, this type of uh, venture investment and this type of ecosystem, it's not going away. It's nobody's going to take away Silicon Valley. Now, you see a few companies announcing that they're moving their headquarters and, um, you know, all they're really doing is changing their official address because that's they're going to pay less taxes. And they're not the people are not, you know, they're not closing offices and moving people away. They're not doing any of that. They're just moving their tax headquarters to another state uh, to pay less, which I see as, first of all, that's, uh, that's really negative for the company because that's really optimization strategy. That really means to me, that's a signal that they're out of ideas and they're not, they don't see big growth in their near future. They're trying to find other ways to create more revenue, more profit. That's one thing. The other thing is that you know, that's really negative because they've taken advantage of, let's say, California resources, the education system that produce people here, all of these things that are you know, invested by the state and by tax funds, and they don't pay their fair share, right? It's this over-optimization. And you see companies doing that going state by state or then moving their headquarters to another country. In US, there are laws where they can capture the taxes, but in other countries, especially in Europe, there are loopholes where you see a lot of companies pay zero tax. So that's the way I see it. And then you see a couple of people you know, moving away and announcing that they're moving to Miami. It's like, okay, great. Well, you know, that's, that's also not, nothing new. Uh, people understand they come to Bay Area to work, to build a career, but it's always been kind of a boring place. Um, and for lifestyle, it's nothing that special. You know, cultural, cultural you know, events here don't compare to New York or London. Um, it, you come here to work and you go on vacation somewhere else. So if you're a billionaire, if you've already made all your money and you want to change your lifestyle and you want to live on the beach, fantastic, go for it. But, uh, you know, Keith or boy, um, you know, moving to Miami and saying, you know, everybody's going to leave Silicon Valley and move to Miami. I think that's a complete joke. Uh, I, have, I have respect for what he's achieved, but he's in a complete, you know, <laughs> uh, startup founders that are, you know, they have no money and just dreams and, and, and no resume and nothing. They have a lot less in common with him, um, uh, you know, and him buying a $30 million house on Miami Beach. Um, you know, good for him. You know, Larry Ellison bought an island in Hawaii, um, you know, an entire island of Lanai. So, uh, completely different, right? It's unrelated. And, and I, the, the message I want to send to entrepreneurs, to founders, especially young founders just starting out, you have nothing in common with these people. You should go to where your industry is, where the ecosystem is, where investors are, where people like you are coming to uh, grow their companies and learn how to build a business. When 20 years from now you retire and you have all the money in the world, go find a nice beach to live on and enjoy your life. 
are, are, are there any common KPIs for those kind of companies? For for startups that uh, that were not going so so well, uh, you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, there. are Well, so what happened last year, if you look at venture investment, um, is there's a lot more money that went in. But when you start looking at where it went, it went into revenue companies and later stage deals, much bigger deals. So you see like a huge bubble of valuations at later stages go up because those are, much, you know, it's money chasing these deals because they're seen as safer deals. But it became much more difficult for pre-revenue seed stage companies to raise capital. Uh, in Bay Area or elsewhere. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind for sure. How did you cope with all those uh, cycles? I mean, uh, do you meditate, working out? Is it a mindset, something else, all of it? You know, I'll I'll, uh, I'll break news on your podcast here. Um, my next book is going to be called uh, What I Learned in My 30s. Um, so <laughs> on, on career, health, and relationships, uh, I learned a lot in my 30s. Uh, I'm turning 40 this year. And, um, you know, Congrats. Uh, thank you. I, I, I almost made it so far. Um, <laughs> you will. <laughs> I will, I hope. Um, so it's, um, you know, I, did, I definitely didn't deal well with, uh, with the stresses of being a founder, something that I like to talk about when I'm on stage and uh, talking to founders or, or mentoring founders is that uh, you know mental health aspect of starting a company is very, very important and something that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, a lot of times founders are so engrossed with their with their startups, especially if they're young and they start and they have nothing go, you know, this is the only thing they're doing. This is this is how they define themselves. If it's not going well, it's going to affect them personally because their identity is the same as their company. And uh, if the company's not doing well, they take it very personally. When in reality, a much healthier way to think about this is it's a, it's a scientific experiment. You know, scientists don't get depressed because an experiment that has a low likelihood of working out doesn't work out, right? Startups have a very low chance of success, success rate. And if it doesn't work out, you just need to go quickly and move on, right? So you don't waste your life um, and, and have such a negative impact. You know, at some point for most, uh, unfortunately, uh, our mothers are right, right? In most cases, people should just go get a normal job, quote unquote. Um, but those that chose the, choose this path need to be uh, very disciplined and very healthy. Uh, one thing is get enough sleep, do get exercise, eat well, try to reduce, you know, minimize travel. That's a mistake that I made. You know, I've done, my maximum year was something like 300,000 miles, 26 countries in one year. Um, you know, unhealthy things. Um, I don't have, you know, a drinking habit or a drug habit or anything like that, but some people do. That's how they cope. Um, I don't, I, I, I watch what I eat, but with, with the pandemic, the nice silver lining was that sitting at home with a home gym and eating well and not traveling and sleeping well, all those things are positive. Um, and it's something that I intend to uh, continue. And people really need to understand that, you know, don't delay things, don't put them off, don't put off your health, don't compromise. Um, you know, all, all those things are going to make you a stronger founder if you take care of yourself and take care of those around you um, rather than the reverse, right? Don't cut corners. Don't do seven days a week for months and months and months. There's crunch mode and then there's normal mode. Just remember, you know, that you're doing this, um, because A, you want to solve the problem, but also because you, this is something 
that you you should be enjoying doing you should be um you should be doing it so you can retire and do other things and, and enjoy your life because you only get one by the way it's still a high suicide rate in california and uh, plus there are a lot of people taking drugs and having all kinds of, of, of weird 24-hour yeah. rhythm habits. Yeah, for sure. I think I think this is a coping mechanism for a lot of people. They don't know how to deal with this. Um, especially, I, I would say probably on average, startup founders tend to be um, uh, extroverts. And when you lock up extroverts to sit at home and all they can do is stare at their computer screen for a while and they don't have that interaction with people, uh, people get really, really unstable and they find different ways to cope. Um, so yeah, hopefully most people choose healthier habits. And, you know, when we look outside of our little tech bubble, uh, all these other, uh, you know, industries and all these other categories and all that, uh, and just traditional, you know, people working normal jobs, you know, police officers and teachers and what have you, they have a lot of stresses. And, um, you know, just like right now I have two kids in the house, uh, doing zoom school still, and just managing all that is very stressful for people. And in a lot of cases, they don't have the luxury of, you know, taking time off or, or relaxing or having a home gym or proper organic food or what have you. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a definitely a problem. So we'll, we'll see how things, uh, change once, you know, vaccines are more prevalent and locks lockdowns go down and we can start returning to normal, hopefully by the summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, definitely an issue all across the board. 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. A little bit more on the event. Uh, we're going to have two sessions. Uh, the first session is going to be the state of the advanced uh, EV and autonomous mobility industry as of right now. Uh, we're actually going to publish a uh, large report that we do annually on the state of the industry, which uh, which we're also going to put out there. It's going to be about 150, 160 page report that talks about the different technology where we are really right now with electri uh, electrical mobility, with uh, autonomous mobility, with different regulations. Uh, we also have an almanac of what all the big companies are doing in this space. Um, so I think that will be very useful for anybody curious and interested to really understand, uh, you know, it'll be a, a book on its own to really understand where the industry is today. Um, and then I can tell you uh, the first panel, uh, we're going to have um, a great discussion with a number of uh, leading up and comers in electric and autonomous mobility. So Jay Giro, I mentioned founder and CEO of Damon Motorcycles will be with us. Uh, Robert Falk, founder and CEO of Enride uh, from Sweden. Uh, Praveen Penmetsta, uh, CEO and founder of Monarch Tractor, and Monica Mikak, uh, Chief Business Officer of QEV Tech, who is also uh, part of the founding team at Remac. And we also have one more special guest on that panel. Um, the second session we're going to be doing on EV charging infrastructure and the successful impact of government stimulus. This across different uh, countries, different regions. Um, in China, this has been a huge driver, the government stimulus and government regulations. Uh, same thing in Europe, and um, we're expecting fully that in the U.S. with the new administration, there's going to be a massive push behind this. Um, you know, infrastructure, green infrastructure is going to be a massive jobs program. 
and if successful, um, you know, in their top 10 list of things they're trying to achieve, uh, they're going to be, um, you know, it's going to be the, the signature policy for Biden, at least in the first four years. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, so some of the guests there, we have Mark Joseph, as I mentioned, he's CEO of Mavitas Advisors and the co-chair of the Infrastructure Committee uh, for Biden. Uh, Francois Gaudet, uh, head of thematic impact finance operations at European Investment Bank. Uh, Vic Shao, founder CEO of Ampli Power. Uh, Mark Bedard, founder CEO of The Line Electric Company that is going to be public uh, via SPAC very shortly here. And Bob uh, Bohujis, I hope I pronounced his name right, uh, CEO of Helix Technology and a few others. And uh, from our team, so I will be hosting the first part along with one of my uh, associate vice presidents out of uh, Drake Star New York office, Lyle Finkler. And, um, and the second part will be hosted by our colleagues in Amsterdam, Frank Rabik, Dominique Hod, and Sherry Fahim. Uh, so that's how our team kind of splits up this event. So it should be a great event. Um, we'll also, you know, for those that can't make the, the the whole two and a half hours, we will post a recording later. So I encourage everybody to register regardless. And you'll also get a copy of our mobility report um, as soon as it gets through compliance and, and uh, becomes available. So uh, that's a little bit about the event uh, itself. And generally, um, you know, it's pretty easy to find me online, golem.net. Uh, my website, if somebody is, you know, contemplating a project, if they're getting into growth stages, um, and, you know, obviously I speak software and e-commerce and AI and, and other sectors, not just mobility. I just focus most of my time on mobility these days as it's uh, kind of an area that I specialize in. But I did spend most of my career in software side. I have a, I have a degree in design. I'm a designer by, by uh, profession to start with. So... Here I am. Oh, beautiful. So left yeah. brain, right brain at the same time and bridge between. Something like that. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, um, when I was in school, I wanted to be a professional musician. I'm really glad that I got into business early because all my professional musician friends are, are you know, they're a little bit broke. Unfortunately, uh, unless you're Britney Spears, um, you know, it's it's a little bit tough. Um, so, I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I mean... I, and that's something that I want to, you know, kind of coming back to this personal idea, right? It's uh, I want to spend more time on creative pursuits, uh, you know, as I get older and spend more time on things I enjoy and creating things and, you know, writing books as an outlet, uh, doing podcasts of my own and with uh, and being a guest and doing public speaking and uh, and doing a lot of, you know, design design projects these days, not for clients anymore for a long time, but my presentations and things, um, I enjoy that for sure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating and leave a review.